Here's what I want to do today. I want to make it clear what the gospel is. I want to talk about knowing, living, and proclaiming the gospel. And then, like I said, I would love to dive into talking about that with any questions you have. Then I would love to talk about any questions you have about the Daniel theme that's been developing that I got to preach a couple of weeks ago here. And then I've been teaching theology and philosophy and apologetics for a long time, and I've been a pastor for a long time as well. So I've thought about a lot of issues that you may be wanting to talk about and gone through a lot of things. And so I would love to hear from you and, and interact with, with a good chunk of our time as well. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time together with these precious children of yours. Lord, we're grateful for the Spirit's work and that he's able to know exactly what each of us need out of our time together this morning. So I pray that he would be powerfully at work helping us to understand and grow in all the ways you have for us. Thank you for your word. I pray we'd rely on it as our authority, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here is the gospel. The Lego movie was right. You are awesome. Everything is awesome, is, the, I think, the first point of the gospel. That's because an awesome God made everything, and so it has incredible awesomeness. And there's nothing more awesome in all of creation than human beings. We are at the pinnacle of his creation. And so you need to start off realizing that God made you in your mother's womb, knitted you together, fearfully and wonderfully made, and he made you for himself in a relationship with him to glorify him. That's the first point the Bible makes about everything. Then we need to realize that we don't all boot up in relationship with God, glorifying him. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God because we like to be our own gods. We don't like God telling us what to do. We like to be our own boss. And that's how we all start off. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. No one is righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. So that means we need a Savior. And thankfully, God didn't leave us in our sinful condition. He sent the eternal Son of God to become a real human being and walk our streets and live a perfect life of obedience in place of all our disobedience. And he died a perfect sacrificial death so that we could have our sins forgiven. And then he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and hell and validated who he was as the Son of God who represents us in his life, death, and resurrection. And then you are able to be completely forgiven and righteous in God's sight and have an abundant life and an eternal life when you turn from your sin and your self-righteousness to God's perfect provision in his son and you lean all your spiritual weight on him. And that starts a new life as a new creation in Christ and Jesus now is everything to you. That's the gospel. And that's what, you, if you, that's what you've come to understand about God, yourself, how you have a relationship with him, and what life is all about, that's when you call yourself a Christian. And then you live that out every day of your life. And when you live that out every day of your life, it means you're not only a forgiven, righteous child of God, it means that you're a minister of the gospel. You know, when I got to preach here every summer for many years now, and last a couple weeks ago on the Daniel theme and I saw students ministering to each other it was one of the most encouraging things ever when when I gave people an opportunity to trust Jesus on Thursday night a couple of weeks ago it was incredible the way they responded but I was so grateful 
for the way the friends of those who God was working in came alongside him and hugged him and prayed with him and cried with him and worked through what God was doing in their life with them, really ministering in powerful ways. I had one youth pastor come up to me and said, I felt like I didn't have anything to do because my students were so on the job caring for each other. It was just beautiful. He actually showed me a picture of his students praying with one of the guys who had trusted Jesus that night. And he and his two youth workers were just in the back with their arms folded watching his students not just work with God, but work with each other. It was beautiful. And so we have to take seriously our privilege of being ministers and priests to our God. We all get to help other people see who Jesus is. In these two verses from Colossians 1 that we have up here, are incredibly helpful to me as I think through what it means to live out the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And this, just these two verses from Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul then goes on to say, for this, this maturity in Christ he's seeking in the lives of other people, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So let's just walk through these two verses a little bit at a time. First it says, him we proclaim. It's all about Jesus. Now you may have heard that a lot in your life, but it's, it's easier said than done. It's really easy to even have me up here saying it's all about Jesus, but it could very easily in my mind and heart be all about me. And you may do the same thing in a performance mentality, in this, this earning something maybe from God and even from other people. It's really easy to make it all about us. And American Christianity has a bad case of self-centeredness, of human-centeredness in the way we even go about Christian ministry. And so we've got to make sure it really is about exalting Jesus, proclaiming Christ, Him we proclaim. You know, I moved here from from the Northeast, where the average church in New England is about 70 people, just a fraction of the size of this group right here. That's the average church. In all of the Northeast, there are five churches bigger than 1,000 people. It's unbelievable how different the subculture of Christianity is in the Northeast than it is in, in even California. People in the rest of the country think California is this crazy liberal place. There are lots of amazing Christians here in, in great churches and ministries. But it was wild when I moved here. It, it was wonderful, but, but it was also interesting because I had never even known a celebrity pastor, right? I had never known these big mega churches. The average Christian in New England drives 40 minutes to get to her church. And, and so it, we don't have big name pastors. And I, I moved here and I say, I'd say to Christians, hey, where do you go to church? And, and usually they'd say, oh, I go to Joey Thomas's church. And I'd say, who? And they'd wonder if I was a Christian, right? Because I didn't know their famous pastor or their famous worship leader. And, and we didn't have smoke machines at our churches in New England, right? We didn't have even very good musicians at our churches in New England usually. But, but it was important to us to identify with each other, not based on those kinds of cool, more performance kinds of things, but the fact that we love Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. So you'd see somebody completely different from you in the supermarket, and it didn't matter you had all these these differences in your hobbies and even your age or your personality or your job, but you'd say, hey, how's it going? Because it was about Jesus. 
Those are not all these things we tend to differentiate ourselves based upon, even in the church. And so we've got to realize it's about Jesus. And so when you think about how a ministry is doing, how a church is doing, how Hume Lake is doing, how I'm doing this morning, how Chris Brown's doing in his preaching, is it really about Jesus or is it about the dude or the ministry even? Because you can be saying it's all about Jesus, but the subtext is completely, aren't we awesome? Right, And I said we are, but it's all because of God, and it's all because of Jesus, and so he needs the attention. It's got to be ruthlessly committed to exalting Christ, because it easily becomes about us. And so is this ministry, is this movement, is this claimed revival about Christ? That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to notice is that word proclaim. It's a really important word. That word proclaim is a great translation of that Greek word. In other related words about what we verbally do with the good news of Jesus Christ who came to take our place are these kinds of words. Preach, proclaim, declare, announce. They're confident, bold, courageous, assertive words. I know it's not cool these days to be that way. It's, it's cool to be cynical. It's cool to be apathetic. It's cool to be dispassionate. God doesn't think those things are cool especially when it comes to the good news and to his glory. And so to be enthusiastic is vital for us, and that means we preach with boldness. Do you know what adjective, remember English, what adjective is used to describe the disciples more than any other in the book of Acts as the church is getting rolling? It's, it's not love. You'd think it would be. Do you know the word love doesn't even show up in the book of Acts? No, 1 John makes up for that all by itself. And so I'm not saying love isn't central to who we are, but as the church is getting rolling in, in the book of Acts, the word used to describe the disciples more than any other is bold. It says things like, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they knew they had been with Jesus. And so we need to recapture, even in an increasingly hostile culture, a boldness, a proclamation. The main word we use for evangelism is share, share my faith. I don't think that's a helpful statement relative to what the gospel really is. It's preaching Christ. It's proclaiming Christ. It's making him known. Yes, I have a story. I have a faith in him. But that's actually not the thing to be in focus. It's Jesus. I want people to know Jesus. And so we, him we proclaim. And then this important idea, warning everyone. When you hear warn, you think what? Judgment day. Biblically, warning language is almost always talking about the coming judgment. Now, this is really important. Listen, this is so important. The Bible has what we would call a linear view of history. It's heading somewhere in a direct line. That's linear. Remember geometry? And, and other world religions, especially in the East, have cyclical views of life and reality. That's why you have ideas of reincarnation and karma, which I think are horrible lies that a lot of people increasingly believe in. You know, I have relatives who say, is that karma or what? And I say, I don't believe in that thing called karma. I believe in grace, and I believe in a sovereign God directing history. Here's what the Bible says. It is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. I know we don't want to be affiliated with fire and brimstone Christians, even though that's a biblical image. 
And even though Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible and got us ready for judgment in his life and sacrifice and warned us of the coming wrath, we've got to be people who help others understand judgment day is coming. Now, you don't want to be affiliated with those people that that's all they talk about. They never talk about the love of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God. They just talk about that God, God hates you, right? You see those people at the end of this Rose Bowl parade carrying signs saying how much God hates you. But we don't want to be those people. But I, how many, is that really our problem? That we, we talk about hell and judgment too much? Do you and your friends, is, is that what your problem? No, do you need to back off on that one a bit? I don't think that's our problem. I think that's like 15 people in Idaho or something. I don't know. It, but it's, it's not the majority of Christians I know. It's barely any Christians I know that talk too strongly about God's judgment. But if you don't believe in God's judgment, it'll be traced back to not believing in his holiness and not believing in his justice. And don't you want a God who's holy and just? Are you just chill with all the injustice in the world? Do you not care about the great evil that's in the world, in every human heart, and in the news if you just look at it for 10 seconds? Don't you want a God who's going to make everything right and be the judge of all the earth? I do. I couldn't sleep at night if I didn't think there was a God who's going to be on the throne judging everyone all over, ultimately one day. And I love the justice of God. I love that God hates sin and evil. And so we need to warn people that one day everyone's going to give an account for their lives. Everyone. And those who've trusted Jesus will be covered in his blood and righteousness and able to stand before God. But even Christians will give an account for how we live, for our works, right? Whether or not they lasted for eternal import or whether or not they burned off like wood, hay, and stubble, meaningless because they were done in the flesh for our own glory. We're warning everyone. And what else are we doing? We're teaching everyone. That means Christians need to be people of thoughtful substance. We, we want to teach people. You know, the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. You can't teach anybody something you don't know. That means we need to do the hard work to know what we're talking about to be more than one question deep in what we believe. We need to work hard. We need to get in the word of God. We need to be people of thoughtful depth so we can offer truth to other people. Warning everyone and teaching everyone how, with all wisdom. That means we don't just blurt out whatever may be true in whatever situation. It means we want the right goals, understanding the people we love and are trying to reach with the good news. And it means that we do it wisely. This is where the prayerful discernment needs to come in so that we're teaching and helping people grow wisely. So we think about who we're talking to. We ask good questions to know how to wisely minister to them and help them. We don't just give them pat answers. We thoughtfully think about what they believe. I remember I had a conversation with a guy one time who wasn't a Christian, and for 20 minutes, I did my best to convince him to believe that there's a God. And when I finally gave him a chance to talk, he said, oh, I believe in God. I thought, well, that was a waste of 20 minutes. We could have just jumped in right there. But I didn't ask enough good questions to know. I just assumed all sorts of things. So good ministers ask good questions. So we teach everyone, and we do it with all wisdom. Why? Why do we do it? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
Again, presentation language is judgment day language. That means on the day of judgment, what are you going to have to show for your life is the question. And you got to make choices. What do you want to show for your life? If, if you want to be obsessed with and attain the highest possible levels of attainment in the video game you love, other things are going to take a hit. Whether it's schoolwork or relationships or ministry, something's going to take a hit, right? We all have to make choices every day about how we invest our time, and that means some things aren't going to get our time. They're not going to get our focus. I'm not here to bash video games, but we just need to have perspective. We need to have well-ordered passions that get our love and attention and devotion and time and resources based upon where they are in the order of importance. We're not real good at that sometimes. And, and so we, we've got to think about presenting everyone mature in Christ on Judgment Day, and that's it. At the end of your life, what's going to matter most is who you are in Jesus, who you are before God and Him, and then how you lived your life, and that you have on the day of judgment people who know Jesus who otherwise wouldn't know Jesus because they knew you. And you have people who are deeper in Jesus than they otherwise would have been because they know you. That's what it's about. So when you come to a place like this where it's this intense temporary community, you have an awesome opportunity, just like I've seen so faithfully happening, to really bear down and have the ability to present people more mature in Christ because of your influence. And it's not hard. It just means you say stuff like, hey, listen to what I read in the Bible this morning. It was really helpful. Or, hey, what have you been learning in the, in the Bible when you've been in it? Oh, you haven't been in it. What's up with that? Or, hey, let's pray together. Or, hey, let's shut off the, the music on this road trip and just read Colossians and talk about it. Let's meet regularly to pray. Let, let's do the things we do to help each other grow. It means you're somebody who's willing to say, you know what, I think this conversation just became dishonoring to women or gossip, so let's turn a corner in a better direction. You're a leader like that. You're, you're willing to do that sort of thing. And you are a benefit to other people. And so on the day of judgment, you're able to present others more mature in Christ. That's the goal of it all. Now, I want you to notice something. See these everyone's? Warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Those are in Greek, which is why they're translated in English. And that means there's a comprehensiveness to this. There's not just those who people expect you to be a minister to. It means you're constantly investing in having an influence. It means you can have an influence just in passing with somebody who gives you your food at McDonald's. Maybe with a smile and a thank you that's genuinely grateful. Maybe it's just with a, a kindness to you as you go around blessing people. Maybe it's an occasional, God bless you. Or isn't God good? Just in passing sort of influence, but those more in your sphere of influence, you dive into more intentionally, more meaningfully. There's a comprehensiveness to this. And there's hard work to it. That's why Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So first thing to know is ministry's hard work. Sin is something deep within us that God has killed off if you've trusted Christ, but then we begin the process of slaying it on a daily basis together. And, and Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking whom he'll devour. So we're in a war, people. When you were not a Christian, 
If you're not a Christian, you're a conscientious objector. You're not in the army. You're not in the war. When you become a Christian, you not only become a child of God, you become a soldier in his army, and you are fighting against principalities and powers in high places, which means we need to be prayerful people, word-grounded people with the full armor of God, fighting this battle every day, waking up, going to war with pride in our own hearts, and asking God to use us to help other people fight the battle well, too. And so we take that seriously. And, and we want to do it with all wisdom, but we want to do it realizing it's hard work. It's hard work. Just know it's hard work. But what do you finally do? You rest in the Holy Spirit's work. With all his power, he, with all his energy, he powerfully works within me. It's hard work, but you find that he ends up carrying you along and bearing fruit from your life, sometimes in spite of you, and sometimes in amazing ways. And you get surprising faithfulness for your, from your own life and amazing fruit in the lives of other people when you devote yourself to his work in this way. All right, that's all I got. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, just that, tell me your name. No, and who said amen? Yellow, did you say amen, Levi? Thanks, Levi. See, that's just encouraging. He was, he was enthusiastic, he expressed what he was thinking, he encouraged me, I said, he's awake, yes, it's beautiful. Uh, what do you, first, let's talk about what I was just saying, and then we'll talk about Daniel, if you want, and then we'll talk about anything else you want. I've been doing a lot of ministry for a long time, so we'll talk about anything else you want. So let's talk about what I was just saying. Any questions about this passage from Colossians, the gospel I started with, anything along those lines? Yes, tell me your name. Uh, my name is Evan. Evan. Hey, Evan. Yeah, so Evan, Evan is intentional about doing evangelism on his college campus. He doesn't get pushed back from, from students in general. He gets pushed back from other Christians because... Ah, gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Right. Excellent. So what, what I would call initiative evangelism, where you take the lead and, and you ask questions and you move toward people with, with proclamation boldness, right, is falling on hard times in the church. It's, it's all about just build bridges, build relationships, relate, empathize, which is all great and important. But eventually, we got to drive something over the bridge, right? Eventually, got to... look. If you had a conversation, I've been married 34 years. I adore my wife. I, if you know me, you know I love my wife. She's an incredible, gracious, brilliant, funny, creative, compassionate, incredible person. But if you had an hour conversation with me, and it never came up that I was married, wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't you say, ah, that sounds like a troubled marriage or something, right? How about if I talk to you for an hour and it never came up that I believe Jesus is way more important than even my wife in my life. That I love her more than, him more than her. That, that, that's what she wants from me, too. And, and so, so wouldn't that be weird? How about if, 
if you spent lots of time with somebody and it never came up that Jesus was everything to them? Do you want your friends to edit what you say to them based on what they think you want them to say and be and believe and think? That's not a real friendship. That's not a real relationship. So if, if I have to withhold the, with a boldness what's most important to me, you don't want me to be a genuine friend. And that's not a genuine relationship. And what do we want more in life than genuine relationships? Nothing. That's what we're created for fundamentally. So you're actually copping out on what we're created for more than anything else if you don't want me to bring Jesus into the conversation. And I don't want my friends to edit what they think, right? Like, if you believe in karma, bring it. I want to talk about what you believe in. If you believe in reincarnation, if you believe pornography is really great, like I, I have acquaintances who, who think that, right? Boldly talk about how, how weird I am. I worked construction for a long time, and I played football for 16 years, and so I ran with some rough dudes for a long time. And they would constantly be evangelistic about immorality. They'd mock me for not getting drunk with them on the weekends. They'd mock me for not sleeping with women. They'd mock me for not being into pornography. They weren't saying, oh, I don't want to impose my values on him, right? It was, and we Christians would be like, well, we don't want to be overzealous. You can't be overzealous about Jesus. And so, so I, it's a weird view of relationships if you're not willing to bring the most important things in life to the table. And man, I notice all the time how bold people are about immorality and secular worldviews. You know, even in my own family, they don't edit for me. I don't want them to. And so let's be who we are. It'll only be weird if we make it weird, right? Or if we are weird, which may be true, but, but hopefully weird in all the right ways. And so keep preaching, man. Initiative evangelism is dying. And there's a great ministry for high school students called Decision Point. Google it when you get home. And they have amazing free resources for youth pastors and youth workers and high school students to start groups on your high school campus and get equipped to do evangelism. Decision point when you get home. Check it out. Really good stuff. Does that help, Evan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your question big time was, well, who, who gets to do this? Every Christian. I actually bet statistically, new Christians are the most effective, bold evangelists. It, you know, they don't know all the answers, all the questions, and sometimes it lacks tact, but, but they have this new life that they want people to know about. And the more you know and grow, sometimes the more hesitant you are. And instead of growing in confidence over time, it's new Christians are, it's so any believer has a, an amazing privilege to help people see who Jesus is and point to him. So every Christian has this privilege from the first hour they believe to be a minister and evangelist. Yeah. Beautiful, Evan. What else? Tell me your name. Jenna. Yeah, I think it's preaching Christ in life and word. And so... You know, some, one of the lies I think we've bought into evangelism, about evangelism is preach the gospel at all times and only use words when necessary. When the Bible is so clear that it's your life is the backdrop of your words. People aren't going to know why you're such an amazing person. And, and so they need to know it's Jesus. And, and you're not an amazing person. You're, you are someone who is a desperate sinner who is saved by an awesome Savior. That's what they need to know. And it's not complicated. 
And so it's, it's a life that's the backdrop of our proclamation. People need to know with clarity what we believe and who it is we believe in and how incredible he is and life in him is. So, so that, that's a simple definition. Does that help? All right. Tell me your name. Zach. Zach. Yeah, so how do you talk to somebody about Jesus who, who was a Christian or isn't a Christian or someone who's done a lot of research? I, I would just start with a very Christ-centered, so tell me what you believe about Jesus. That's where I usually try to start with people. Because are you a Christian? Do you go to church? My, that can mean so many different things. But Jesus is the bottom line. And so what do you believe about Jesus? And you will almost never, if ever, meet somebody who says, I hate Jesus. It, isn't it interesting that even in increasingly hostile culture to Christians, people generally want to be cool with Jesus, right? And, and so you can, you can go from that and say, well, who do you think he is? And then we actually have who he thought he was. And if you're going to respect this Jesus you want to be cool with, you, you got to believe he is who he says he is or think he was a nutcase, Right? Who thought he was God who died for the sins of the world? Who does that if it's not true? So don't say Jesus is a great admirable figure. C.S. Lewis a long time ago said he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He can't, he can't be anything but one of those three. And so I would try to go there and, and get down to who Jesus is as the bottom line in all my conversations. I'll talk to you about dinosaurs and cloning, but, but I want to talk about Jesus mostly. Excellent. Tell me your name. Nathan. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, so Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine. And so... There are people who just show no interest, feel like you're beating your head against the wall, and maybe there's a better investment of your time and energy and resources in someone who seems more receptive. And that's a legitimate question to ask. And that's where the with all wisdom comes in. Would you leave that Colossians passage up, guys? Um, with, with the with all wisdom. That's where you need wisdom to say, I, I'm not giving up on this dude. I'm going to pray for him every day. Nobody's beyond God's reach. Even if he's apathetic, even if he's pushing back, even if he's cussing me out. I, I, I had a guy I lived with in college. I didn't do anything. I walked in. They had a big party in my school, my big university. Everybody in my house was drunk. I came back from the library. I walked in, and one of my guys I lived with, he says, what are you looking at, you blankety-blank Christian blank? And he didn't say blank. <laughs> and I just thought, where did that come from? And that didn't make me back off for him. It made me bear down even more. But prayer is the foundation of all ministry, including evangelism. Ian e. Bounds said, don't go to men about God until you go to God about men. And, and so, so don't ever give up on anybody. And at the same time, never quit. Never, never stop praying and, 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 and being intentional. But you have limited resources and time, too. And so... To even say, you know, you seem really unreceptive to this, and that breaks my heart. But I want you to know, I'm not giving up again. I'm going to keep praying. But I'm going to leave it to you to bring it up again. Because you obviously don't like it. 
You can have honest conversations. Let's be super honest and straightforward with people. My friend Jerry Root has, for decades, had a list, what he calls his hit list. It's 10 people who don't, don't know Jesus that he wants to come to Christ. And he tells them, he says, look, I have this list of people I pray for every day that you'll trust Jesus. And then he says, and while I'm at it, what else can I pray for? And people always have something. Oh, my sister's going through a hard time. My wife's got medical issues. And, and then when he sees them, he says, have you trusted Jesus yet? And they say, no. He says, okay, then, how's your sister? And he has an amazing ministry to people. And through the years, that list has come to Christ. And then he just adds somebody when somebody trusts Jesus. And so he's always got 10. But he tells them. He's intentional. It's funny. Like, hey, I'm praying for my unsaved friend that she'll come to Jesus. You're telling all your Christian friends, and she doesn't know that. Why? Right? Let, let's just be straight up with people about what we think, what we believe. And, and let them understand that we can think you are missing life in Christ. And we love you. It doesn't mean we think you're some horrible person. Because we used to be dead in our sins as well. We can completely relate to where you are right now. And so, so it does take wisdom and discernment to know how to invest the limited resources we have. But I, I do want to say, never give up on anybody. Or the Apostle Paul would have been a completely lost cause. Right? Until Jesus knocked him down on the road to Damascus. One more question or comment. Tell me your name. John. John. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it's beautiful when you get to work with people. There's nothing like working with people. You can have coffee. You can, but when you're working together, tensions rise, mistakes are made, forgiveness is necessary, grace, patience, kindness, consistency, showing up on time. So it starts with working hard. So my son Isaac is on staff here all summer, and it thrills my heart when I meet people, and they say, you're Isaac's dad. That's what I'm known as around here. Uh, <laughs> You're Isaac's dad, and I say, yeah, and he said, and one person said to me, he works harder than 10 people. He, he's our best work. He, everybody loves working with Isaac. Well, now, they're Christians he works with, but even then, right, he's having an influence. He's being an example in who he is and how he works. I mean, preaching how great Jesus is and then showing up late every day, being, being slothful, being lazy, expecting everybody, everybody to make up for your mistakes, that's a bad witness. So it's got to start with who you are and just how you work. You set the stage. You set the, the bar for, for showing people what it means to, to work with all your might to the glory of God. That's the first thing. And so, so you, you want people to love having you on their crew, even if you're green, even if you're a rookie. But then, over time... People may still think you're some weird throwback from a previous age or something because you don't do all the stuff they do. But over time, my life and their life started to have a contrast. Like, they'd make fun of me for not going drinking with them. But when they're hanging out of the back of the truck, throwing up on the way to work because of the previous night, my life's starting to look pretty good to them, right? Because and, and, I'm feeling good. And so, so you can just say, wow, there's something I find attractive about this dude's life, right? I don't know what it is exactly. He keeps saying it's Jesus, and I don't quite get that. But over time, I mean, I had guys who, I, one of the guys I worked with, I'm talking 30 years ago, 35 years ago, met my sister-in-law at an airport, made the connection, and he said, you know, we used to make fun of him, 
but he was an amazing guy. And so all these years later, he remembers, right? And I, I was really bold because I remembered saying, these guys mock me for not getting involved in sin. Why am I timid about inviting them to church? Why am I timid about saying how great Jesus is? Am I so concerned about my reputation or an eye roll or getting cussed out maybe, which happens a handful of times compared to thousands of people being interested? So it's just a case-by-case. Case. People need to know you love them. You, you're curious about them. You ask good questions. You take interest in their lives because most people don't. So just being somebody who loves people and then tells them why it's because of Jesus, he loved me first, can have a huge impact. I, my, one of my best friends in college was Mr. Connecticut. He was a bodybuilder and an amazing football player, but he was wild. Glenn was crazy. One of those, I don't know if you know a dude who's just crazy, hilarious, and reckless. And he, he would hold me down. We were on the football team, and he'd say, cuss. And he'd tell me cuss words he wanted me to say because he thought it was hilarious that I didn't swear. And so, but we had a great relationship. We were out of college 15 years. We hadn't talked to each other. He calls me 15 years out of college, and he says, you know I only have my mom because my dad committed suicide. Um, She's going in for open-heart surgery, and I'm terrified of losing my mom. And I didn't know anybody else who prayed besides you. Would you pray for me and my mom? Stop, don't ever, yeah, is that cool? Don't ever underestimate how God wants to use you. I love you guys. Goodbye. We're done. We're done. Bye. That's it.